today we're continuing our study through the book of Romans. Uh, if you've missed any other, or if you're new here, if you're new here, you get a prize today. Like, you're like, what just happened? Well, that's, that's what we do here. Hey, uh, we've been going through the book of Romans for a while now. You can go to our website or just read the book of Romans. But over the past few weeks, Paul, he's the author of this, he has been begging us uh, not only to know, but to live in our brand new identities in Christ, that we are new creations. And then when we do that, we live under the, the rule of grace and life, not under the rule or the reign of sin and death. And so with that said, our lives, practically speaking, should feel like grace and life. Not perfect. Things still happen. Sickness still happens. Cancer still happens. You still get a speeding ticket and you get jury duty. We get it. But we should be under the rule of grace and life uh, and not feel like our lives are under the rule of sin and death which when I say our lives feel like sin and death, for some of us, that may actually describe some of our lives. We feel like that we're under the slavery and the bondage of sin. And here's the idea I really want to drive home today is this. You may be saved, but you're not living as a free person. You may be saved in Christ as a Christian, but you're not living free. You might not even understand what really is Freedom, because when we hear about freedom, we hear a world decrying freedom. It's all about freedom. The world is promising you can be a free human being right now. How is it going to free you? Well, you can build your wealth and you can have financial freedom. Or here's another one. You can have the right politician and the right party in charge of this country, and that's going to make us more freer people. Am I right? Or there's, uh, there's the sexual freedom and the gender freedom out there that says, hey, you can marry whomever and live however and have uh, fluidity when it comes to sexuality and gender. There's no boundaries and you will be free from that as well. And by the way, you know what we need? We need to legalize more drugs because if we legalize more drugs and everyone's microdosing and get hopped up on shrooms, then we'll be freer at that point as well. And you're also going to be free to follow your heart, do what you want to do. You do you, live however you want, whatever you deem as possible, and you follow your own truth. That's what the world is promising as freedom. How's that working out? I don't think that makes us free, but I think we really need to personalize this. Are you living as a free person? I'm going to say it depends upon who you're committed to. I'm going to, I'm going to say it's dependent upon who you have as your allegiance, and I'm going to say it depends on who is your master. So if you've got a Bible, go to Romans chapter 6. Here at Grace Point Church, we say you're going to need a Bible. We lead, teach, and preach from the Bible. So if you don't have a Bible, we want to give you one. We have them in English and Spanish out at Centerpoint. And then you've got a smartphone probably. You can download version. It's on there as well. I'll give you my goal up front, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be like the micro-machine man. Remember from the 80s, those commercials? I'm going to talk fast today, so you better listen quick. But my goal today is this. Uh, I want us to see if we really are living free. Are you really living free? And, and my ask for you today is this. Will you be open to what God is telling you to do today? And so I'm going to ask you that question. Don't answer, but answer with a nod, okay? Are you open and willing to listen to God today and do what he says today? Are you willing? Give me a nod if you are. Some of you are like, mm-mm. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> well, God wants, to be, uh, wants us to be free and when he frees us, he enslaves us to himself. And I'm going to argue that's a good thing. So Romans 6, verse 15. Are you there? All right, here we go. He says, what then? Which uh, verse 15 is going to feel a lot like verse 1 from the chapter 6 as well. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law 
but under grace? Great question, right? Are we just a sin because we're not under the law anymore? We're under grace? And the answer is? By no means. It's the same thing he said in the first verse of like, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Does that mean that we should just sin more to get more grace? And the answer is, heck to the no, absolutely not. Not whatsoever. When we think that we use grace as a license to sin, we do not understand grace. F.F. Bruce, the commentary writer, he says this, to make being under grace an excuse for sinning is a sign that one is not really under grace at all. We don't understand it. But then when we hear a verse like this, we're like, but wait a minute, it says we're not under the law anymore, so let's not obey the law at all. No more law for me, hooray. Well, wait a minute. You ever thought about it as a Christian under grace? Why do we obey God's law? Why do we obey God's word? What, what motivates me to follow Jesus, the wills and the ways and the wants of Jesus as described? What motivates us? And here's my answer. I got one word. Why should we be motivated to obedience and obeying the scriptures? One word. You ready? Freedom freedom. Let me show you. Verse 16. He says, do you not know that if you present yourself? Now, uh, when he says present yourself, he means you're giving yourself, okay? Giving yourself to someone. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience that leads to righteousness? Now, Paul is going to use a very dicey illustration right here. He's going to use the word slaves. He's going to be talking about slaves and masters. And that's not only dicey to us nowadays here in this country. It was dicey to him as well. If you look down at verse 19, I'll come back to it in just a moment. Look where he says right here. He's like, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. And the idea that he's telling them your natural limitations, he's meaning what I'm getting ready to say is going to be hard to hear. It's going to be a little bit offensive. Back to verse 16. Now, why is Paul talking about slavery here? Is Paul condoning slavery? Not at all. But he knows the hearers, those who were in the church in Rome, would understand and would be very familiar with slavery. Uh, actually, the Bible uses slavery, uh, the word slave, quite often. And when the Bible uses the word slave, and when it comes to our commitment to God, it means a total devotion and commitment to God. Uh, Moses calls himself a slave to God. David calls himself a slave to God. Paul calls himself a slave to God. In the book of Acts, Jesus is known as God's slave or servant. In Philippians 2, 7, it says that Jesus took on the form of servant or slave. When Paul says slaves... What they are thinking and what we are thinking may be two different thoughts, right? What does he mean by slavery? Well, there's kind of three views of slavery. One view is the view we understand here in America. It is uh, to steal people and to enslave them. That's what we've seen throughout the history of this country. Very, um, very touchy topic for sure. A lot of that's being discussed right now. But I want to be clear what the Bible says that that is wrong sinful, disobedient, and bad. Correct? Amen. Okay. <laughs> Stop. Number two. <laughs> this, this, I was going to comment, but don't do it. Second thing. Second slavery is when uh, a country would go and defeat another country or a nation defeat another nation, they would take their people and assimilate them into their culture as well and sometimes enslave them as well. Now, when the Roman church was hearing this, uh, they would kind of, they were like, oh yeah, we, we understand that because Rome is going around conquering everybody and we always have new neighbors all the time. So they're, they're, they're understanding this. But then there's a third way. When someone had debt or the family had debt, they would offer themselves to someone's service in order to pay it off. 
the person that they would offer themselves to would typically provide shelter, provide food, provide money, provide safety, uh, defense. They would take care of them, but yet they were indebted to them. And usually it would not last a lifetime. It would last for uh, a certain time period. It had an end date to it. And so this is someone actually putting themselves in slavery. Does that make sense? Give me a little nod if you understand. Uh, I got a terrible illustration that completely falls apart, but I'm going to try it anyway. Uh, any of you in the military? Or was in the military? You, you, you signed a contract, right? My, my son actually is there at Nellis right now. He just uh, swore in and he's doing some service there. Uh, but like he, he, said, he told me the other day, he's like, Dad, I'm property of the U.S. government now. I was like, yep, you sure are. He signed a contract and he's going to serve them. And they're going to provide housing, they're going to provide food, they're going to provide a GI Bill. But guess what? He has to obey what they says. He's going to boot camp down in Texas in, I think, November. And when the sergeant or whoever, master or whoever it is, says, hey, get down and give me 50, if he looks at them and says, but I don't like push-ups. I don't care. I told you to do push-ups. You must obey what I said. That's why even some of the ranks are called master sergeants, right? I am your leader. You must do. So it's a terrible illustration, but you get the gist, am I right? He signed up for it. That's what Paul's talking about right here. He said, when you present yourself, he's saying, you, you gave in. You want to do this. You, you opted for this. The church in Rome got this. Why? Well, historians tell us that uh, the population of Rome in the first century, about one-third of the population of Rome were slaves. Uh, historians also tell us that in this church in Rome right here, that potentially half of the congregation were enslaved or they came out of slavery. So they would understand completely what he is talking about them. And what, what Paul's saying right here, he's like, don't become a slave again, spiritually and literally. Why? Slavery demands a total, total, radical, exclusive obedience. That's what Paul's getting at. Let me say it again. Slavery demands a total, radical, exclusive obedience. Look then at verse 16. It says, do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone, he says, to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. And he gives us two options. Sin, which leads to what? Do you believe that? Yes. Or of obedience, which leads to what? Sin is bad. Righteousness is good. You see how he's doing this right here. So, so Paul's saying like each and every human being is a slave to someone. Everyone has a master is what he's saying. For some of you right now, you're like, I don't have a master. I am a slave to no one. I'm free. I'm autonomous. I control my own destiny. No one has mastery over me whatsoever. John Calvin said this, if you believe that. He says, the great mass of vices anyone is buried under. Oh, I'm sorry, the greater masses, sorry. The greater mass of vices anyone is buried under, the more fiercely and bombastically does he extol his freedom. Meaning the more masters you have, the more you'll be like, no, 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 I'm free, I'm free. Yeah, you're just trying to convince yourself of that. And so Paul saying right here that we cannot serve two masters. He said you, you, one master will not like the other master having control of you. And they will, the master will want radical, total, exclusive obedience from you. That we're offering ourselves to someone. We all have a master and we are all slaves. Do you agree or disagree with that? Yeah. Verse 17. But thanks be to God. That's something we should say more often. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching. Hold that real quick. 
standard of teaching to which you were committed, love that word, you committed to a standard of teaching, and have it being set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. What a paradox. You've been set free only to become a slave again. Now, he says right here, standard of teaching, and, and that phrase, standard of teaching, commentators uh, vary on what that means. Standard of teaching either means the gospel, like you heard the good news of Jesus, his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, or standard of teaching sometimes in the first and second and third century would be uh, kind of doctrines in which they teach a new believer that you must understand. They would catechize, and you must understand this before you could be baptized and become a part of the church. Which one is it? The answer is yes. Maybe a little bit of both, but it says here that you have heard a standard of teaching, and it says from here that you from the heart became obedient to it, meaning it wasn't just a religious set of facts that you heard. No, you heard the good news of the Gospels and the way of Christ, and from the heart, meaning the centrality of who you are, you now walk in obedience. And because of that, the first uh, phrase he says there in verse 17, he says, thanks be to God, all of this is from God, not from you. He's saying you have been freed from slavery, being in Adam. If you remember that from a couple weeks ago, that in Adam we're under death and, and, and disobedience. You have been freed all because what Jesus has done to you, for you, and uh, because of him. Make sense? Okay, now verse 19. He says... I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you were once, once presented your members as slaves to impurity. So again, he's saying you presented, that, that we're, we're opting, we're inviting ourselves to do this. You presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present. So he's talking about in the present. He's saying right now, you used to do those things, but right now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. It is an act of our will that we submit ourselves to God and to righteousness, and that is what will grow us being more and more like Christ. He's saying that being under the law is not what grows us in righteousness. We think if I know more law and do more law, that's what's going to grow me in righteousness. No, 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 no. It's, it's presenting ourselves to the king of grace. That's what's going to sanctify us and grow us. Now, when you hear that, they're like, great, I guess I don't need to obey the law anymore. Tim Keller helps with that. He says this, anyone who wonders if a Christian can sin is ignorant about sin's enslaving nature. Put another way, a Christian does not have to obey the Ten Commandments in order to be saved. I'm going to read that line one more time. It's gold. A Christian does not have to obey the Ten Commandments in order to be saved, but a Christian does have to obey the Ten Commandments in order to be free, be a free and thus godly human being. There's the difference. If you don't obey the law of God, you become a slave to selfishness and sin. I think it's a great moment to pause. Don't answer, but I want you to think through this. Paul's been talking about slavery, and when he talks about slavery, he says we're slave to sin or slave to righteousness. So I think it's a great time for us to pause and start processing who's your master? We agreed earlier, I believe you agreed, that everyone has a master. Who is your master? Now, we're sitting in here at church, and everybody in church is going to say, what? Jesus. Jesus. Of course he is, right? Perhaps, Perhaps this is not the right question then. Let me ask it this way. Is Jesus your only master? How would I know? 
are you living free? Because remember, Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 24. He said this, no one, which means all of us, right? No one can serve how many masters? You can't. You can't do it. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. For some of us, this describes our Christian walk right here. I love you, Jesus, and I hate everything else. And then we walk out of here. I love everything else. I'm like, Jesus, I won't say I hate you, but like, I'm just going to go in another direction because we want two masters. He says, you cannot serve God and insert the blank in the context he was talking about money. And for many of us, that'd be a good thing to put in there. Why, why can't we serve two masters? Some, sometimes we want to serve two masters. Sometimes we want to see Jesus not as the, the master of all. Sometimes we want to see Jesus as just my Sunday master. Or just my religious master. Like, you know, like I want a well-rounded life. I want my life to be good. And I got to put a little Jesus in there as well. That way I have a well-rounded life. So he can be my Sunday master. And I'll sing to him here or at least move my mouth while the words are on the screen up there. But like, but you know, he's, I don't want him master of all. Or maybe he's my master of my religion or he's just the master of my eternity. Jesus, I don't want you master now in this life. You can be master later in life. And I think that's why Paul chose, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to use the illustration of slave. Why can't we serve more than one master? Because slavery is full-time. Slavery is holistic. It's a holistic giving of self, meaning no master wants to share you with another master. It would be best to start asking God to show us any other masters we are serving. What else am I worshiping? What else am I trusting? What else has my time? See, slavery just means I do what my master says. And we obey our masters with our life, our choices, our schedule, our time, our resources, our energy, our thoughts, our desires, our loves. Wait, you may be thinking, wait, 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 I, I thought, and the text has said that, that Christ saved me and now I'm free. So how are you saying you can be saved and not free? No, no, no. The Bible is saying that you were free. The Bible is saying that you were free from hell. Hooray. No? Okay. The Bible says you're free from death and sin, like you, like you won't experience the second death. It means that you are free, and you're free from serving other masters, and you're free from being enslaved from other masters. And in this freedom, you are now free to serve God, free to worship Jesus, free to follow Jesus. Well, that, that's not what freedom means, Ty. Well, we hear from the word that freedom means liberty to do whatever I want to do. That when you start asking about what does freedom truly mean, freedom means I can do whatever I want to do, and the world will add one caveat, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. And so that's what freedom means there. No, 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 that's not what freedom means. That's why Christianity is so counterintuitive and countercultural. You're freed and then yet enslaved again. Why? Because no one is absolutely free. We have freedom from sin, but total freedom, this the idea of being absolutely free, free from God is not freedom at all. Let me, let me try it like this. Uh, you probably have seen sports before, haven't you? There's like a ball, a bat, a goal, hoops. There's things, you know, people running, sweating. You've seen sports, right? Uh, there's a terminology in sports I hear. It's called free agency. Like some, when someone becomes a free agent, um, their goal when they become a free agent is not to go play for no one, right? They're like, ah, I'm a free agent. I just really don't want to play anymore. No, their goal is to play for a better team uh, that has a better coach and make better money. Am I right? Insert Dallas Cowboys joke here. 
Um, If not careful, we see ourselves as free agents. We, we want to be slaves to God on our terms. We see Christianity and Jesus as basically a supplement to our view of the good life. And so when Jesus, when God, when the Bible, when Christianity gets in our way of our dream and thought of the good life, then we turn away from him, we turn away from his word, and we go chasing after whatever we think is the good life. Meaning, we're cool with some of the Bible, we're just not cool with all the Bible. Like, don't like that when we see certain things in here. Listen, if God has never confronted your way of life, then I'm not sure you're following the God of the Bible. Because then that means you're perfect. (laughs) Well, you're like, well, joke's on you, Todd. I've never opened the Bible. Well, there's another issue right there. (laughs) Perhaps the God that you are following is some God of your imagination, some God that looks and sounds a lot like you, some God that looks and sounds like the world around you. See, believers are set free from one master, sin and death, only to be forced into slavery of another master, God himself. And in him is true freedom. See, freedom in the biblical and practical sense is not some sort of absolute autonomy, a freedom to do and act as one please. No, no. Here's what freedom is from the Bible. Don't miss this. Freedom is to become human like Jesus because that's where human flourishing happens. Jesus is our prototype of humanity. And so we're now free to live like Jesus, that we get to follow him, that we get to worship him, that we're free to be like him. That's what Paul was talking about in sanctification. We are free. So let me ask you again, who is your master? Do you only have one master or multiple masters? Maybe let me ask it like this. Are you truly free? Let me try another angle. Uh, last week, I think it was last week, I talked about our life into two stories. Remember that? We talked about B.C., before Christ, what our life looked like before Christ, remember? And then A.D., after death, after you've trusted Christ, what life looks like then. Can I ask you to think through this? Is your life freer now after you trust Jesus, or was it freer before you trust Jesus? Don't answer that. Verse 20. Look what he says in verse 20. He says, for when you were, so he's pointing back, when you were slaves of sin, you were free. In regard to righteousness, meaning you were free from righteousness. Meaning before Christ, you were not righteous. But what fruit were you getting at that time that the things of which you are now ashamed? For, those thing, for the end of those things is death. Um, I, I met Jesus at the age of 23, and if you were to come to me before the age of 23 of meeting Jesus from the time I was conscious, which I don't remember, like for some people I hear them re- uh, remember stories of like, I remember when I was two and X, Y, Z happened. I'm like, how do you remember that? I remember when I was like 17. Be- beyond that, I'm like, I don't remember much of that. But, but from age of conscious to 23, if you were to come to me and say, hey, Ty, do you want to become a Christian? <laughs> I'd have been like, no, not at all. And you're like, why don't you want to become a Christian? I was like, why would I want to give up all my freedoms to be, you know, 
to be a dork, is what I would say. Like, to, 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 to be like, hey, uh, you know, you got to do all these rules and all these things now. You got to care about your life. No, I'm at my freest state right now. And as a matter of fact, if you'd have met me before uh, I met Jesus at the age of 23, I would have bragged about all of my stupidity. All these wondrously dumb things I had done in my life. I'm like, can you believe I did that? You ever, you ever been around someone and they brag about things and you're a Christian, you hear them brag about things, you're like, bro, you should not be... You should. <laughs> Someone's bragging like, I can drink 18 beers and still drive my truck. It's like, oh, hey, <laughs> he's up there, cowboy. Or, you know, or like, hey, all these sexual escapades or like, you know, how they stepped on a lot of people to climb the corporate ladder and like, you know, like, you know their lives are destroyed now, but I'm wealthy and rich and all those things. We, no, like you, you should not brag about that. You should be what? You should be ashamed of that. That's what Paul's saying right there. He's, look at verse 21. He says, but what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Shame. I don't know about you. <laughs> I look back on my first 23 years of life and cringe with shame. Like, ugh. Now you're wondering, well, well Ty, should I... Should I feel ashamed now? Should I feel ashamed now? No. No. Shame is a result of sin. Shame, it may cause remorse, and shame will definitely cause regret. Definitely will cause regret. But it doesn't lead to repentance. Repentance is a turning away from it and turning to Christ. Uh, Paul says this. In 2 Corinthians, he says, in 2 Corinthians 7.10, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief, which I'm going to argue is shame, uh, produces death. When, when we have shame as Christians, all it does is this. It makes us feel bad. We have regret and remorse, but it turns us inward to where we're self-loathing and we pity for a while or we try to make ourselves feel bad long enough. And if I feel bad long enough, then I'll feel good later on. Or we'll turn it and we'll start blaming other people and now we have become the victim. No, 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 no. Christians, don't feel shame. I want you to hold on to that because um, you're going to need this in a minute. Don't feel shame. Feel conviction. Feel repentance. and Turn to the Lord. Look what he says in verse 21 again. He says, for the end of those things is death. Thank God, Christians, we're not there anymore, am I right? That we don't practically live in the land of death anymore, am I right? Verse 22. But now that you have been set free, you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God... The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Do you see how he's posing this different? He says, thank God, like, you've been saved. And the fruit is not fruit of shame anymore. It's fruit of the Spirit. It's good things. Like, and it's growing you. Sanctification. Sanctification means I'm becoming more and more like Christ. By my action, my attitude, my way of life, I'm starting to look more and more like Jesus. I am being transformed more and more into a human in, in which the way God's designed and created me to be. At my truest and best form. That, that's what it means. That's the reason why we surrender to God. To make us who he's called us to be and he's designed us to be. Verse 23, if you've been around the church for a while, you know this one. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
God gives us a gift. Hey, what's a gift cost when you receive it? Nothing. Unless it's your kids buying a gift for your spouse, and then they take all the credit for it, and you're like, hey, man, I was the one that made that money. But anyway, <laughs> gifts, <laughs> gifts are free. They just have to be received. And it says right here, this gift from God brings life, brings eternity. But the opposite is true, uh, is true with sin. It's not a gift, it's wages, meaning you work for your sin wages. You and I, we get our death dollars. You know what this blows up? Karma. So many of us, we believe in karma. Karma is, is antithetical, or karma is the opposite of grace. Can I say that one more time? Karma is the opposite of grace. We think we get in, we, we, we get out what we put in, and we think, you know, if we do good to the universe, the universe will be good to us and all that kind of stuff. No, it says right here that wages of sin is death. And these wages right here are like basically a daily stipend or an allowance that we get this little, little bit of death each and every day. So the more we sin, the more we earn, and the more we earn is actually death. And so thanks be to God that we have this free gift of God which is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, at the beginning, I asked if we would be open to God. If God were to say something, if God were to nudge you, if God were to show you something, that we'd be open to make changes if we were to see our lives are not under His mastery. So the question is, do you have any other masters? Please don't answer out loud. Do you have any other masters outside of Jesus in your life. Jesus said you can only have him or not him. He leads with grace and life. All other masters lead to disobedience, sin, and death. I said earlier you can be saved, you can be a Christian and not be free. I said earlier that Paul uses the word slavery, and sometimes in some sense slavery is something we impose upon our self. So if you're a Christian, I want you to think about the slavery that you've invited into your life. Because if we made choices to live under the control of a master, we choose. We have freedom to choose now because we've been freed in Christ. Am I right? I'm not talking about free will and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about freedom to choose now how we want to live our lives. Christian, you have some freedoms and you have some power. And so what that means for us is Christians, we are not victims of our choices. And for that reason, empowered by the Spirit, we can choose to no longer have a master outside of Christ in our life. We can choose to no longer be slaves. Are you ready for that? You're not. You and I, we set the priorities of our life. If you're married and you're a married couple, you set the priorities of your life, of how you're going to live your life as a married couple. If you have children, parents, grown-ups, guardians, big people, you set the, the priorities in their lives as well. You have control. But now be honest. If you were to look at your past day, if you were to look at this past weekend, if you were to look at the past days, the past week, the past weeks, the past month, I want you, Christian, to be honest. What does your life feel like? Did it feel like life and grace. It's not perfect. Bad things still happen, all that kind of stuff. But deep down inside, a sense of peace and well-being of its life and grace because of the Lord Jesus, hope in Him, or over the past day, days, week, weeks, and months, has your life felt like 
death. Is your life choices and the priorities you're choosing each and every day, is it building you up in Christ, making you more Christ-like, making those around you as best as possible, or giving them opportunities to grow in Christ-likeness? Or are the choices you're making each and every day killing you? Slow deaths over and over and over and over. If they are killing you, if life is feeling like death, you might ought to look into who your master really is. Your master wants to have mastery over you. And the master, what he's going to do, he's going to take you out of control where it feels like your life is spiraling out of control. And it's going to feel like at times it's spiraling out of control with this other master that you need to hide certain areas of your life. But it feels like the more you hide certain areas of your life, it's like busting apart at the seams. It just wants to come out. And it feels like your master is not giving you life, but giving you death and sucking the life out of you. All this because you're choosing someone or something to be your master and not God. And this master controls everything in your life. What has mastery over you? I mean, it could be the big four that Tim Keller talks about often. If you've read any of Tim Keller's writing, it could be acceptance, like you, you live and die for acceptance and approval from other people, and so you'll do whatever uh, to be a people pleaser and people happy. It could be comfort, so you live and die for comfort, and your life's got to be super comfort and comfortable and can't be convenient, so don't ever ask me to help you move or anything like that, because I'm not going to do that. Or it could be security of like, I got to make sure I have enough money, lots of, lots of zeros and commas there. That way I feel secure. It could be power. I, got, I need more power. I can't be out of control. I got to be in a control, but what? What is your master? For some of us, our masters would be our work. What do you call someone who works all the time? What do you call them? A holic. A holic is an addict, like you're addicted to your work, meaning you can't stop, won't stop, won't quit. You just won't. It's like you're a machine and you're stuck in the on position. Even when you get home, you can't turn it off. Even when you lay in bed, you can't turn it off. Even when you're sitting still, you can't turn it off and you just go, 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 work, 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 work. And it's just, it is driving you. Your work is your master. For some of it, it's money. It's all about getting the next dollar, all about trying to get more money. And when we try to just live by money, we probably want, uh, want it to give us some security, but we get stingy, we get greedy, and we hoard. It could be someone as your master. It could be Someone really good in your life. It could be your spouse. It could be your kid. It could be your parents. It could be your peers. And every bit of your life is, is, is kind of lived in fear of them, meaning I've got to do whatever to make them happy, to appease them, because if I don't, I will feel their wrath. They'll get upset. They'll cry. They'll stomp. They'll slam doors. They'll scream. And so I've got to do whatever to make them happy. They maybe have become your God. Perhaps your God is a substance. You, you, you cannot stop drinking. I'm not talking about the, cas- uh, the, the occasional, like, I like to have a glass of wine. No, no, no. I like to have a case of wine. Like that kind of deal. <laughs> yeah. You catch yourself at like 8 in the morning watching TV. You would never watch drinking. Or it's substance. Like you've been prescribed some pills and yet... You're taking way more, and you're lying to get way more. It's become your mastering. Like, oh, I can quit. Well, then do it. See, if that is you, listen, listen, get help. Like, we're, let us know. We, we, we want to we help you. 
for, for some of you, it, it's sex. It really, like, I know, like, we're not supposed to talk about sex in church. Yes, we are. It's sex. I was like, I, I, like, you're addicted to sex. And so that's the reason why you would never let anyone touch your phone or look at your web browser or anything like that. And you, it's, just, it's, it's your master. And let me tell you, it's, it's like a drug. It's going to get worse. You're going to need more and more. And you're going to do, if you haven't already, some outlandish things because of that addiction. Uh, Guns N' Roses, 1987, had one of the greatest full albums out. Remember Appetite for Destruction? Mr. Brownstone was a song on there. And in Mr. Brownstone, it went like this. I used to do a little, but a little wouldn't do it, so a little got more and more. I just keep trying to get a little better, say a little better than before, right? We used to do a little, but a little wouldn't do it. So a little got it more and more. I think Axl Rose was on to something, probably on something, but on to something <laughs> right there as well. Just more. I hear, I hear the pushback right now. One, Ty, you're running out of time. Two, the pushback is... The pushback is, well, Ty, I, I've got to have a job. I mean, I've got to work. I've got to have money. I've got to pay bills. I, I, you know, I have the spouse. I have these relationships and these children. I need to do these things with the children, and I need to you know, do all this. Stuff. So, so I, you know, how, how am I to have God only as my master when I've got all these other things in life? And I'm like, you know what? You're right. I totally messed up. Let's pray and go home. Father, thank you. No, wait a minute. Jesus says this. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 6, He says, but seek first the kingdom of God. Not seek first your life and your priorities and your goals and your dream and all that. No, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Meaning, live under his life, of, of, of his rule and reign of life and grace, and all these things will be added to you. If you look previously in that text, he's talking about food and clothing, life, like job and relationship, life, all of that. See, what I'm trying to tell you is, Jesus is a better master than anyone else. Jesus is gracious. Jesus is kind. Jesus is loving. And Jesus will tell you what to do with all areas of your life. Jesus will tell you what to do with your work. He'll be like, work, that's great. Go work hard. How about have a day off? Amen? <laughs> now, I know, hey, some of you are pushing back like, well, I'm in a season. Let, a season is called, has a start point and an end point. <laughs> Don't call it a season if it doesn't have an end point. Jesus will tell you what to do with your money. He'll say, honor God with it first and be generous and help those around you with your money. Am I right? So he'll tell us what to do. Jesus will help you out when it comes to your relationships. Jesus will help you out when it comes to your spouse. How to love your spouse and love your spouse well. His word talks all about it. Jesus will help you out when it comes to your kids. You know, Jesus knows a lot about parenting. See, when you look at what Jesus says about parenting, you'll be more concerned about discipleship than you will scholarships. You'll be more concerned about your kids going to heaven than going pro. Those things, I'm not saying those things don't matter. I'm just saying it'll be a priority. Jesus will tell you what to do with your time. Jesus will tell you about your sexuality. You're like, well, Jesus was a virgin. Well, all right. Well, he lived through it all. You'll be all right. He'll tell us that the, 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 you know, the, the, the place where that belongs within marriage, what, the way the Bible describes it. Jesus wants you to do life under his rule and reign. He wants to give you life. And he does it through his way, through his will, through his word. And that's how we flourish as human beings. So many times we feel like we're just victims to our schedules. Listen, you are not a victim to your schedule. You are not we choose what we do. I choose what I do. It's on us. We can choose to do something different. So do you have another master? 
Can you name them? Let me help. Let me help. Who gets your worship? Who gets your devotion? The answer is, I sing at church. I'm not talking about singing. I'm not talking. I'm asking, who are you devoted to? Who do you sacrifice for? And you're like, my spouse and my kids. And I would be like, that's great. And the Bible honors that, and that's a good thing in the proper context. Let me try it this way. At what point does my calendar, at what point does my schedule, at what point does my budget, my spending, my time, my energy, at what point does my life contradict my commitment to Jesus? At what point? I've got to do all these things. I got to, like, this is the way the world works, and you don't understand the world. I get, listen, the American dream can turn out to be an idolatrous nightmare if we're not careful. Have it all, be it all, do it all, and we call that freedom. Friends, that's slavery. Jesus says, what, is it, what do we gain by getting the whole world and forfeiting our souls, our actual lives? See, if we have no time, no energy, no resources, no margin, no calendar to commune with God, to serve His body, to contribute to His causes, to worship Him with all of our life, to disciple our families, then I would argue that He is not our master. Something else is. We can be saved and yet not live as we're free. What is God saying to you today? Will you, will you listen some of you are like, oh, I'm okay with being saved and keep going with my life and plowing ahead with my life, and I don't want anything to change. And then my retort would be, then your life is going to look like death. And not the Jesus go and die to self-death, but the living under the yoke, living under the reign of sin and death. It'll come out in relationships, it'll come out in marriage, it'll come out in parenting, it'll come out in everything to do. Listen, I, I want you to walk away not shamed, but empowered you make your priorities. I make my priorities. You are the one who can put your phone down. You are the one that makes your budget. You are the one that makes your schedule. You are the one that decides in that moment to turn the TV on and leave it on for hours. You are the one that cracks the six cold one. You are the one that chases after the fantasy of being entertained to death and forever. You are the one signing your kids up for all the extra stuff. You are the one ignoring the freedom and the reign of Jesus in your life. It's not being done to you. We are making those choices. I think that's what Paul's talking about today. This is not shame. Remember I said shame draws it inward. This is the opportunity for God to do work in us. So what... Is God saying to you today? Because the gospel of Jesus frees us. This is, again, I know it feels heavy, but this is, this is good. This is good for us to hear. Will you listen to God today? I have a little slide for you right here. It says, slave to blank over God. What goes in that blank in your life? What are you a slave to over God? What would you put in there? One, two, ten things? What would be in there? Do you listen to God today? Trust Him today. Jesus just doesn't want to save your soul. He also wants to save your life right now. Let me pray, and we'll go to the Lord's table together. Father, thank you for your word. And God, sometimes it's, it's heavier than others, and especially on a day like today. And I know there may be many burdens that people are just carrying today, and it may be the enslavement may be something done to them, something they have no control of. So, God, I pray you would just be with them in the middle of that. 
But God, for many of us, me included, of, of all, the chief of sinners here, there's so many things that we choose in our life. And by that default decision, it's not choosing you. Holy Spirit, be kind to us and yet firm in, our, in your conviction to us. Would you show us areas or an area of life in which we, we have chosen another master other than you? Would it be our time, our scheduling, a person, our finances, our work, a substance? How would you show us? Would you empower us by your grace? The same thing Paul's talking about in this letter. Empower us by your grace to, to make choices, to seek first you, your kingdom, and your righteousness, and trust you to add all these other things. Holy Spirit, there's just so much gap I feel in this message, and I pray, Lord, you would just be so good just to speak into our lives. I pray, God, that you remove any shame that we're trying to feel and put conviction in there so there must be confession and the refreshment of repentance and that we would bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Jesus, as you're doing this, grow us more into your image, more like you, grow us closer together, and may all this be done for our good. And Jesus, for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.